Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 33. Bit of a new look or a different look to Inside the Ropes uh, this week. I'll explain more in a moment. Uh, Mark Hayes is the standard, of course. He is always here. Hello, Hayes. I'm nothing if not average, Andy. You're more than average. Uh, you are regular. Like, like, a, like Metamucil. <laughs> You've you called me keep... a lot of things on this show. <laughs> I never thought Metamucil would be one just of them, but thank us, you for having me along again. Keep nice and regular. <laughs> we look over the other side of the desk today, and it's not the first time that we've had Stacey Peters as a part of the show, but you're, a, you're sort of more a guest the last time you were part of the panel. The guest days are gone. You're now very much part of the family, Stace. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to the year ahead. There's a lot to talk to you about in terms of what you've been up to recently. There's a certain someone who's sitting alongside you, though, who was going to be uh, our feature interview on the show today, but he's got nothing else to do. So we thought, bugger it, we'll just make the big fellow earn his keep today, and he can just be part of the show. Uh, Jared Lyle, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thank you very much for having me. We're not going to get stuck into the... We'll get, now that he's here from the start, Hazy, we'll just do the regular bits and pieces, keep yeah. the regular flow of the show going. And we will do that feature interview. We'll do that. We'll get but, to that eventually. Uh, yeah. we, we just wanted to you know, warm up to it, that's all. Um, just ever so briefly, how are you travelling? Good. Good. Yeah, no, everything's good. I've got a day off hospital today, so uh, I thought I'd bring the eyebrows out and we'd uh, <laughs> come and have a chat. <laughs> I was just talking about that. There's nothing anywhere, but the eyebrows are back and the mo is starting to flow. You've yeah. got a bit going on here. Yeah, I'm... I'm you know, Brian, the girls call me sort of Guido now. They reckon I look a little bit Italian. So, uh, rocking the black hair on the, the eyebrows. And I actually had to shave in between the, the eyebrows so I didn't have the old mono the other day. So the mono that, down. That's where the Guido comes from. Clean, cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. It's incredible good. portent for where this is going to go. Yeah, this anyway, show. anywhere. Stay tuned, folks. Uh, Rebecca Artis is going to join us a little bit later on. Um, Stace, we'll talk to you about what you've been up to, uh, we spoke to you on the phone, was it two weeks ago now, about um, the major amateur event in Singapore, which we'll chat to you about, but um, we'll just roll through the regulation affairs of the week, and we saw something pretty extraordinary happen in Mexico uh, in the WGC event. Um, Justin Thomas, from a poor start, rallied in the third round to get himself back into the mix, and then the last two and a half hours of that was compelling. Others stuck their nose in and out of the frame, but in the end it came down to Phil at 47 and Thomas, who is the brightest of bright young things on the global golf tour right here, right now, going head-to-head. And it was it was fantastic to watch. It was extraordinary. Um, the, you know, the tournament probably didn't have the field that it wanted for a WGC mm. event, which is a different story altogether, but that was all sort of lost in the ether And when, they, when those two were slugging it out there at the end. It was fantastic and just some incredible golf towards the end. I mean... What a way for uh, for Thomas to finish! And remember, he was even par through through thirty six holes. Yeah, 
Yeah. So he's he's shot on a past seventy one course. I think he shot uh, sixty two on the Saturday. Yeah. And uh, so what's that nine under? Then he shot another sixty three yeah. on Saturday on Sunday. I mean, an extraordinary golf cap with an eagle on the last to to effectively get into the playoff. And, and the eagles and, are two on a four, so yeah. it holes out from the fairway, which is just. It was just out of this world stuff, really. Yeah. So then, and then you actually thought at that stage, oh, I did, that Phil was going to get rolled over. Mm. But uh, to his credit, he just hung fat, Andy, as you like to say, <laughs> and uh, became. I think I was just looking it up here. He's become the uh, ninth oldest guy since two thousand to win on the PGA Tour, which is uh, quite a phenomenal thing. And most of these people are uh, Fred Funk and Kenny Perry. So. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, it's an incredible achievement at that level because all the other ones are, largely speaking, um, much lesser events than a WGC. So phenomenal. And he clearly, Phil, has an eye for 50 tour wins. I think he's got 43 at the moment and he made it fairly clear afterwards that he wanted to get to 50. So that would be some sort of achievement. And I think also you've got to mention Phil's short game. I saw a stat just the other day of his short game last week. He got up and down 18 out of the 22 greens that he wow. missed. And his putting was, I think it was 65 from 69 inside 10 feet. Jesus. Are you kidding? Yeah. I saw it uh, a couple of days ago. Wow. The stat from the weekend. So when you've got a short game I mean, like that, That's Jared, scrambling. That, well, just... that's unbelievable. <laughs> when you've got a short game like that and you can do what he can do around the green, how much pressure does that take off your long game? Oh, it takes everything off mm. it. And you can see that by the way he's played his whole career. You know, he's always been one of the widest drivers, huh? one of the... The guys is always in the bottom of the driving accuracy and, and greens hitting regulation, but he's always at the top of his short game. And, you know, when you've got that, there is no pressure because you can hit it in the jungle, pitch it out, and he knows from anywhere from 110 yards and in, you know, he's that good that he can get it up and down. And, and the thing that I like about Phil at the moment is his confidence and his own ability. Like, for four months, five months, he's been saying he'll, he will win again. He will win again. And... <laughs> yep. He just kept saying it's getting closer and closer and closer. And he's, you know, the start he's had to this year has been incredible. Mm. For a guy of 47, you know, where you sort of sit there and you think he's almost past his use-by date a little bit. But mm -hmm. he's just come out there this year and he's played and he's taken it to these young guys. And, you know, to see a 47-year-old and a 20-something-year-old Justin Thomas in the playoff and, you know, the the, the old guy get up, it's it's good to see. So it was his first win since Muirfield 2013, the Open Championship. It was his first win in 94 starts. So it, it feeds into this whole thing that he was telling us. And Phil says a lot of stuff. Like, he's, he does <laughs> say a lot of stuff. So you probably take, you know, a lot of it with a bit of a grain of salt. But he's been telling us that the game's been in good nick. Um, he's had uh, top 10 since that last win from the 94 starts, 23 of them. But... As you just said, Jared, his last four starts have been a tie five uh, Phoenix, tie two Pebble Beach, tied six Genesis, wins Mexico. So he has clearly been feeling something, Stace, that has been telling him, and you guys know, you both played at the elite level. I it, hate that you don't look at me when you say that. Oh, really you know, I know, sorry about that. But There's obviously some good form coming it, in. Yeah. And he's obviously yeah, peaking with his confidence level and... Yeah, he knows when he when he was talking about that, you know, I can win again, I can win again. Obviously, the signs were there. And if you know, you know, right? Like, if you know that you're starting to hit it the right way, then you just know. And he's – so, therefore, his confidence levels are born from the fact that, A, he knows what he has to do to win at this level, and, B, he feels like he's playing well enough for the first time in a long time 
to get back into the frame where he might actually salute, and lo and behold, he has. Yeah, and I, I don't think that that fifty two wins is is out of the equation. He'd have to buck the trend, though, wouldn't he, Hazy? Like to oh, do that bad. is one win in since two thousand and thirteen doesn't necessarily translate to seven more in the rest of his career in a hurry because, as we've been talking about for a long time, the depth of the men's game has exploded in the last mm. decade, um, probably even in the last five years. You see what's coming into the game out of eight. Like, Abby Barnrat continues to stand up. And then there are a flotilla of players coming from lesser golfing nations, yeah. and I say that in inverted commas, uh, into the upper levels of the game now. Uh, and just as you normally do when I say with all due respect, because I haven't <laughs> got much for Kenny Perry, but with all due respect to Kenny Perry, those events that he won weren't the WGCs. They weren't mm. the second tier events below the majors. They were, you know, a bit of far-flung sort of arrangements that Kenny Perry would roll up to, um, as good as he was late, late in his 40s. And I, I do doff my lid to him there. But uh, you can't see Phil mucking around with the lower, you know, at the shallow end of the pool. I don't think he's... If he's going to play a schedule... It's going to be focusing on the top end of town. So I think his challenge is a bit harder than it otherwise might be, if that makes sense. It does, absolutely. Well, it does because he's, he's turning it up against much stronger fields than the fields that a couple of the guys who were of a similar vintage were beating yeah. to put themselves. So with a view from where he is now, with a view to Augusta, anyone around here going to think that he is a lot? Would, you, would anyone around here have him in your top five chances to win the Masters? Oh, I think it has to be up there, showing the form that he's showed the last few months. I think you'd be crazy to be crossing him off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you got him in the mix? Yeah. yeah I easy. think so. I've got him in the top 10. Uh, I just think that course is built for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's it puts incredible pressure on your short game, and he's the man, as Dace says. Mm. So, Justin Thomas gets beaten first hole of the playoff, but um, he loses no friends as a result of that. How is this guy... Oh, oh, there's... You can, you can argue the merits of the numbers all you like. And the bloke who is number one at the moment is still playing reasonably solid golf. So he's not he's not fallen over, Dustin Johnson. But it does make a bit of a mockery of the numbers that this bloke hasn't found a way to somehow ascend to number one, given what he's done since he missed the cut uh, at the Open last year. He's, he's played 15 times since then. He's won four. He's had eight top tens. He's had 12 top 20s in those 15 events. His worst finish is T47 at the Bridgestone. His record since missing that open is a joke how good it is. Like, it's just phenomenal what Justin Thomas is doing. It's nearly a little mind-boggling that he's actually not number one. Listening to those numbers there, I didn't know them. And, I mean, I probably don't understand the ranking system no. enough. But he not, would, you, you in, would say you he's... you in Mensa? <laughs> <laughs> you would definitely say he's the best golfer in the last year, yeah? Oh, you'd have, like, I would think you have to say that. No one's got a record. That it it, it would be that. a very close race between him and Dustin, obviously, as the best golfer in the last sort of 12 months. But going on the last six months, you, you can't go past Justin Thomas. Mm. Whose game would you rather have? Oh, mate, I'd love wow. to have Dustin's, uh, Dustin's driving, Justin's chipping, putting. Um, you know, it'd be a good mixture to have both both of their games, but I think right now you'd take Justin's game over everybody's. I'll take the one he doesn't want. I'm happy with, <laughs> happy with either. Well, he leads. I mean, I just had a quick look at his stats last night for this. You know, this where he where just where he sits at the moment, and but for par three, the only moderately kind of 
weak link in his game at the moment. He's scoring on par threes. And he's only marginally, like, 0.06 over par, his, his stroke average on par threes. Everywhere else, he is munching the game of golf. Par four performance is a joke. Uh, what he do, he's, he's almost, he's, he's averaging 3.9 on par fours. Uh, he's four and a half on par fives. So when you step onto a tee and you know that you're going to play on average under the card on par fours and par fives, it gives you a fair leg up in terms of setting a score that is going to be competitive. Like it, it just gives you a massive head start. There's no par five that can contain him or Dustin Johnson now. Um, and we'll, we'll touch on that later when we talk about the uh, the ball distance Well, I'll talk about it now because Titleist, that's been one of the red-hot talking points. And yeah, bit, I don't want to make this about Titleist, to be honest. I, I, don't, I don't want to rain on your parade. No, but they did come out this weekend. They did. You know? I think they're proactive, and I'll give them that. Yep. But I think it's it's much more to do uh, with other things. Can, before we talk about that, can I just mention another Oh, no, we do need to mention huge, someone else. huge name before we branch away. We talked about uh, Phil not winning since the 2013 Open Championship. Well, there's someone who also had quite a quite a drought, Andy, um, and she was phenomenal at the weekend. And that's Michelle Wee broke a drought from the 2014, I think, Women's U.S. Open. Um, she's the great coulda, woulda, shoulda story of modern golf, either gender, and she's almost now put her name back into the big picture again. It was waning, I think, Stace. I'm not sure what your thoughts on that are, but down in the mid-20s, trending south in the rankings, and suddenly, all of a sudden, she's she's bobbed up again with an enormous performance. Yeah, it was awesome, wasn't it? I mean, I think everybody was probably rooting for Nellie Corder a little bit that uh, that round, just because for the sisters to be going back-to-back, but then... <laughs> For, uh, we can touch on that after, but um, yeah, for Michelle to get over the line and with that putt on the last, I mean, yeah, it was awesome, wasn't it? And not winning, yeah, since I think, yeah, 2014, wasn't it? At Pinehurst, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, she, she, Andy, was the one who probably f- lost the formative years of her career of chasing a men's dream, mm. which is patently stupid in my eyes, but you know, that's the path she chose with her presumably family and, and management. To, to yeah, whether who yeah. was pushing that, whether yeah, it's, yeah obviously yeah. dollar signs there, I guess. Yeah. And, but she really has been one that's persisted. She's had the same coach for, what, Ledbetter, I think, since she was 13. I mean, you see, you don't see that that often, I think, in the women's game a lot. You know, there's a lot of chops and changes. Mm. and Especially yeah, with the t- amount of times she's changed strokes and swings well, and look putting at her styles. Style. Exactly. I mean, she seems like she's changed everything, but with the same team around yeah, her. Amazing. You know, I kind of respect that a lot. Can you think um, of anyone in the game who's done it so radically as she, men or man or woman, who's changed the way, the shape of her game or his game, the way that Michelle Wee has? And you I can't can, think of anyone. It's so visibly noticeable. Yeah. You know, like you don't even have to be into the technical side of golf, I guess. <laughs> exactly. To, to see that. Yeah. You know, my true. nan could pick up that she's changed her putting stroke. And, you know what I mean? Like, I do. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. know what you mean. Um, so it's big, big changes that she's been making and hats off to her that she's persisted with it and she's had another win. I mean, it's it's awesome. It must be hard for these young phenoms of any sport um, who come in at, you know, as a, as a young teenager who get courted by, you know, the big, you know, apparel companies and they attach themselves to the big brands and they get into the machine and then and then they become um, a, a bit of a, a commodity almost. And I wonder whether if Michelle Wee had her time over again, she might she might do it a bit differently. Yeah, who, it's hard to maybe, know, uh, isn't it? Yeah, maybe her bank balance wouldn't. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Chasing all those men's events, like what's 
what's that doing for one's confidence and, you know, missing cuts all the time against the men? I mean, it wouldn't even be that fun, would it, hanging out with no. her? What was the situation with Locker Room and that there? when oh, she? that's a good question. <laughs> no, no, these are really good questions. I don't know. You know? Like, you know, and it's not going to be that social out there for her, and is And she either? became detached yeah. from a lot of people. Her so. and her family, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I, I think she'd look back and, and change it, to be honest. I think she would too. too. Yep, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, hers is a talent that is extraordinary, mm. um, and we haven't seen the best of it, and that's a real pity. She's the needle mover of the women's game, period. You can say all you like about all the great Korean players and, for that matter, the current generation of American players. When she does something special, the LPGA radar this week in the States has gone berserk mm-hmm. because of her performance. You so. spent more time in the States than we have, Jared, through the Michelle Wee career span. Were you... Well, I know you were completely tuned to the men's game, tuned to the men's game, but did you get a sense for how big the kind of Michelle Wee um, phenomenon could have been? Oh, for sure. And, you know, I was there when she played in Hawaii. Um, yeah. in the in the men's tournament, you there. played that event. I played that event, and it was just the the crowds there were were huge, following the her group around, and and you know she played with Gavin Coles, and and she was out driving Colesy all day, which <laughs> which is not uncommon because he <laughs> does it. But you know, for her to go out there and and want to do it, yeah. and she was somewhat competitive, you know, playing off the men's tees, playing a course that's you know hundreds and hundreds of yards longer than they typically play on the ladies tour, and you know, she was out there and she gave it everything. And at age fourteen or fifteen, or whatever yeah, it was, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. Yeah. Was there any negative sort of blowback from any of the men? Uh, this is a joke. You know, it's a token. It's a gimmick. Was there any of that sort of stuff flying around? As far oh, as you can remember, I'm, I'm sure there was. Yeah, but you know, I didn't really get wrapped up in it too much. I was there. It was my first ever event on PGA Tour as well, so it was oh, kind of right? yeah. you and her could hang out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She, I think she did have her own locker room. Um, you know that that side of it obviously had to happen because you didn't want to see what goes on in the men's locker rooms. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you it's know, remarkable the physical similarities between you two. It's incredible. Who me and Michelle? <laughs> Michelle it's extraordinary. I, I, I've never seen you in the same room actually. No, we're about the same height. That's about it. <laughs> so was it good for the Stace because you're the woman here and you were playing at the same time? Was it good for the women's game or was it or not? What 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 was the? I think they. She got a lot of negative, you know, there was a lot of negative criticism about it. Like, why are you doing it? Yeah. Why, why not come and try and dominate on the women's game, the, dominate the women's game yeah. before you go and dominate the men's, you know, like, like Annika did. Okay. Yeah. She just did it once. Yeah. Um, because she was so dominant in the women's game, she wanted to challenge herself. She went and did it once and found and it was bloody tough. So didn't do that again. Yeah. You know? and, she, and she picked a course that was a little bit easier for that the, would maybe for the ladies yeah. to, to go and play. Yeah. Whereas Michelle's golf course she, cho- she chose in Hawaii was probably a little bit too long, a little bit too tough. So Yeah, okay, right. You know, Annika actually thought about it a little bit deeper, I guess, than what uh, Michelle did. So it's not too late for her, is it, Hazy? No, in, clearly in not. In terms of doing something significant with her career, it's not too late for her, clearly. And she clearly has the fire in the belly to, mm. to go back and tinker and re- rework something. She's rocking something completely different visually this year to last year again, um, as Stace points out. And, you know, it, as long as she wants to do it, she's got the time and she's a, a brilliant athlete physically. She's an extraordinary, tall, strong, angular player. It, it's She's got all the tools, obviously, mm-hmm. to do that. I, I just really feel for her that, um, as, as both Jared and Stace have pointed out, she's missed the opportunity to come through and dominate at the levels. 
um, we go back to the you know just local club land. We're, we're encouraging juniors to go and play off different tees so they can get the feel of shooting a 68 and 69, like Jared and Stace used to do as young as young youngsters. Uh, and you know, mere mortals like us can't actually get that feeling. But if she went from being able to shoot a 66 as a 13 year old on a course set up for her, to being a, really playing the round of her life to shoot a 73 at, in Hawaii, that's hard work. Mm. You don't get the feeling of of staying elite the whole time. So she's been battling with that for 15 years, more than half her life. Mm. Fascinating. I do think it's important to be trying to to learn to shoot low as well. Like yeah. I used to always try and practice off the men's tees and stuff, but occasionally I'd put myself off the red tees so I could really try and have a low score a and learn to learn to go low. I think that's really important. Yeah. So golf's a game that doesn't give you a lot of wins. You don't win often in golf, but you can have, relatively speaking, you know, good weeks. It feels like Michelle Wee's dealt with more disappointment since she came onto the scene than she has kind of the opposite. And that's a difficult thing mm. for a young person to carry through the really formative years of a professional career. Yeah, and she's battled, you know, she's battled with a lot of injury as well. Mm. So, again, hats off to her for hanging in there and being as competitive as she has been. So, two Australians we've walked past, and we shouldn't do that on Inside the Ropes. One is Adam Bland, who, Blandy gets into the WGC event by virtue of the Order of Merit finish here in Australia. And it quits unbelievably well. Like, the 700 shoots, from what I saw on the coverage, he missed a couple of birdie putts late on the Saturday and Sunday, his score could have been, without much uh, without much changing, his score could have been significantly better than the 7-under than he eventually posted. Uh, absolute hats off to him because he could fold up. We've seen many examples in the last two or three years of people who have come not only from the Australasian tour but other tours around the world, gone there in the WGC bright lights and just folded mm. and you know been way out the back of the field. Um, and you, not that I'm potting um, Brett Rumford, but he was like that in the yeah, first round this, yeah, this no, time absolutely. around and improved markedly as it went on. But Blandy, just, uh, you know, he's just... It, nothing much phases Blandy, I wouldn't imagine. Jared, you know him pretty well, I'd, I'd guess. Uh, he, he's You wouldn't know if he'd dropped a winning lotto ticket or <laughs> if he, you know, had just won something pretty special. But he kept that composure the whole way through in Mexico. Yeah, and he's done that from as long as I can remember. Like, we played a lot of amateur golf together back in the 90s and early to 2000s and stuff. So it's he's always had that demeanor on the golf course that nothing phases him. And, um, you know, to get up there in that, I guess, probably the biggest tournament he's ever played. Mm. You know, and he's played, he's played a lot of big tournaments in Japan and, and obviously here in Australia. But to go there and play a WGC event in Mexico and... And acquit himself as well as he did mm. was just it was incredible, and it was you know great to see him have a really good finish over there. And as um, Andy was saying, if he had to hold a couple of putts on Saturday Sunday, there could have been a real life changing kind of ex- a tournament for him. Sort of is already. I mean, in, yeah. in the sense that um, even for a bloke who did play major championship last year, he's banked a really big check here. Yeah, yeah it was tidy. Yeah, yeah, yeah it goes alright. <laughs> it just takes the heat off him for the rest of the year. Um, you know, he can play with the house money, basically, yeah. that he never once would have had, you know, it, as well as he goes in Japan or wherever else he's playing in Japan this year, he's always had to fight for his card and fight to put food on the table, etc. This is a free hit, the WGC, based on his last year's stuff. So it's it's easy money, in inverted commas, because he's worked hard to get it. But uh, to play with house money must be a great feeling. It just doesn't it go to show, and you two can attest to this, I imagine, how difficult it is to go from being a good player on a tour that you cut your teeth on to making the step up 
globally. I remember following Blandy for, I reckon it was two years in a row at Coolum in the PGA, where on the weekend where he was, you know, deep um, up the leaderboard and was late out, particularly on the Saturday and a couple of times, I reckon, and was lucky enough to you know be doing the walking commentary behind him and thought, this is, his, I don't know how old he was, same age as you, I suspect, Jared. So this is going back, you know, probably 10 years at least now. I thought this kid's going to be a player, you know, but and he's been good, you know. To get a ticket in Japan is is no nothing to sneeze at, but it it just goes to show how hard it is to go from where you're at to the next level and the level beyond that. Yeah, it is. You know, to to make that step is it it literally just comes with one lucky week. A lot of times, you know, you go out there and you have one really good week, and then all of a sudden it, it just clicks, and then you become that next level player. And some people don't get that opportunity where it just doesn't click and mm. they just sort of they just become that battling guy that stays at the same level for 10, 12, 15 years and, and doesn't really go any further than that. But, you know, he seems to have found that, that click a couple of years ago and he's gone on and he's turning himself into one of Australia's most consistent players, I reckon. Mm. When I think of that going, like myself, say, going from or trying to go from LET to LPGA, like... I find that a massive jump. I mean, I was—I only ever had conditional status twice on LPGA, but never really found my feet over there. Like Jared said about having one week, I did have one decent week that got me a good re-rank that allowed me to play the rest of the season, but never well enough to keep my status over there. Okay. So I was kind of yep. in limbo for like a few years, really trying to get um, set up on LPGA, but I never really did it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to talk to Rebecca Artis about this. She's you know, about to kind of... In- go through that herself so when yeah. she joins us it'll be terrific yep. while you've got the mic um minji lee is at the at the kind of cusp the elite level cusp will she be getting frustrated at all she she has another top 10 finish you know in the best of company again on the weekend and she's putting together a lot of really good results the, the amount of top 10 she's had in the last uh, 12 months. I don't know the stats off the top There's of my head. There's a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's some really, really consistent golf. I don't know if you'd say she's getting, she'd be getting frustrated. Uh, maybe. But, uh, I mean, she's got to really understand, you know, how close she is. And mm. I guess that's got to bring a lot of confidence as well. But, I mean, what, she was only two shots back on the weekend. Yep, and, yep. yeah, I watched the, like, the last nine holes of it and, Gee, it could have been anything. She's not she doing really, anything. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely really, right. Yeah. It really could have. Yeah. yeah, she's doing nothing wrong. She gave herself a lot of opportunities. It was really good to see. Yeah, I'll tell you how tight it is at the top of the women's game, Andy. She's actually dropped down with it. You know, she's in the top. She's in the top ten of the um, race to the globe, which yep. is you know a testament to her um, consistency early in the season. She's dropped down the world rankings from 15 to 16, mm. uh, which is unbelievable. After, uh, what did she finish yes, last week? Uh, Tie yeah. six, yeah. 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 So, Two shots off the lead. You know, and she's done score. nothing wrong all year. But from Shan Shan Fung at the top, geez, I'm really glad that Ali told me how to pronounce that name. I'm you love rolling. it. Any opportunity you get. We should, in fact, you, that could be your 2018 sound effect. Shan Shan Fung. Every time you say her name, we might have to put a sound effect. Yeah, well, I like yeah. that idea. Yeah. At number one in the world, but the distance between her and, and Minji Lee is actually reachable. It's very attainable. Um, like I'm not saying it could happen in one week. Like she probably would need to win something like an ANA Inspiration to take the huge leap right towards her. But which is not out of the question. Far from out of the question. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's right. it's very achievable. Um, it, it's an extraordinary balance at the top of the women's game, and it makes it interesting to watch even more so than normal. I think because any one of the top twenty players is a legitimate threat every week. 
So before we get on to your experience in Singapore and your assessment of the depth of the golf in this region coming through on the women's side of the game, Stace, the New Zealand Open, it was just an absolute score fest. I reckon you and I might have been able to break par <laughs> down there, Hazy. The it's not going to make the cut, though, is it? No, no. no. Well, not we breaking par. We would have still missed by seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Easily missed by. Uh, but, gee, I mean, the scoring was red hot, but you still got to win it. And the kid, oh. the kid wins at shooting 63 in the first round and 62 in the fourth round. There's a fair bit to be said about that, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if we can just park the actual number, um, it's an incredible achievement to stand up under pressure. And Daniel Nisbet, you know, hadn't had a win like that before. So mm-hmm. to, you know, he's put his name in the in the frame a couple of times, and I wouldn't say faded, but hasn't kicked clear in the last round, hasn't pushed on uh, to do that such in such style. Spot a guy five shots. And run him down, and and with a leg in the air in the end. I mean, yeah. he's he's crushed him. Two. Yeah, um, phenomenal achievement for someone who's um, you know hasn't done it. Uh, look at the scoring wise. He actually took out a record that I'm not thrilled that he has, but good on him for doing it. Cal Nagel's 26 under. You never. I don't, I like that Daniel Nisbet shot the score. Yeah. I just don't like seeing legends come out of record books. <laughs> but Cal Nagel 26 under was the previous NZ Open uh, record low score. Um, so it's gone by the boards, and um, you know, full credit to Daniel Nears, but that's an amazing score. Um, Twenty-two from memory, guys at seventeen under or better. That's <laughs> off the charts, stupid for just choppers like me and Andy Jarrett. Mate, even for me, <laughs> I think I broke seventeen under once in my life. Yeah. So it's, um, I, I was just flabbergasted by the scores because I've obviously mm. played the hills. I haven't played Millbrook, but uh, you know. I didn't think the hills was that easy. Hmm. But they've gone over there and they've just <laughs> tore it a new one pretty much. Yeah. They got perfect weather. Fair to yeah, say. Yeah, there was no wind. It was dead. It seemed to be just about becalmed for the four days. But you've so still got to shoot 27 Absolutely under you do. That's no, the thing. You've still got to have, you know, your, your 30, 31 birdies that you, you know, you need to shoot. Because <laughs> you're going to have a couple of bogeys. There's no, there's no way around that. Yeah. No. But you've so still got to have your 31, 32 birdies. Nearly a birdie every second hole. For four days, yeah, it's it's well done on the mats there, Hazy. Thanks, Stacey. He's good like that. Yeah. That'd be a good Ambrose score though, twenty-seven. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's incredible, and you know, um, good on Terry Pilgadaris. He's never hung yep. it up. He's two hundred and five years old. Good day, Terry, and he's still going beautifully. Yeah. Um, but uh, great to see a lot of young kids make their mark too, and bank a pretty good check because there's a bit of cash going around the NZ Open. So. Uh, Great achievements all around, really. Sweet place to play golf too, isn't it? I mean, if anyone listening to this hasn't been down to Queenstown to play some golf or just go down to Queenstown, oh, Stacey, don't tell me. No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I feel Anyway, f- moving on. I feel really, you've got to do that. <laughs> it's a three-hour flight. I mean, we're, yeah. we're sitting here in Melbourne. It's a three-hour direct flight to, Queens, to Queenstown from Melbourne. It yeah. is. It's a must. It is a must. Um, j- just like the sandbelt courses, though. Um, and for that matter, most courses in Australia, um, the defence is the wind mm, in Queenstown, true. so yep. no wind. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Why, why do we think those scores were like yeah, that? Was it just the still, conditions? Yeah. Was it soft greens? Was it perfect greens? Was it? I heard they had a bit of rain in the lead up weeks. We'd, they'd had a so they had a really dry summer, then a bit of rain, so they they'd lost a lot of the rough. Then it got soft. Yeah. Now there's no wind, and the courses were mint. Yeah, so okay. everything, it's the planets aligning. But as Jared says, you still got to do it. I agree. You still yeah. got to mentally be having that, you know, eight nine unders. I mean, yeah. it's, and backing it up. It's uh, 
as, Aaron, as Aaron Price said, so he shot at 68, 69, then bemoaned on Twitter at six under. He couldn't even play on the weekend. <laughs> That's right. Unbelievable goal. You know, and you see, I was watching it. You see Ryan Fox, who's a, you know, he's he's a, a good international pro, mm. a really good international pro. He's got um, Steve on the bag for him through the week, so they're, they're anticipating big things. With about three holes to play, he's outside the cut. He goes birdie 16, eagle 17. I think I've got the numbers right to get inside the cut line. He's got the par three ninth, I think it was. They plan to be playing the alt, one of it might have been whichever course finishes with the the ninth or the eighteenth as the par three. He had the par three for his, for his last hole, yep. and three putted from the front edge to yep. post six hundred and miss the cut. So while we're sitting, well, we're saying oh, it's easy, easy, easy. A player like Ryan Fox felt the knot in the gut. Mm. from a place where he should have made an up and down from the front edge of that green, and he couldn't get it done. So there are good players who are still feeling the pinch, uh, irrespective of the scoring. And one last local event, Andy, before we perhaps yeah. have, have a break and chat to Jared more extensively. Um, Stace Coffs Harbour was the second of two events up there on the ALPG and co-sanctioned with LET. How did you think that went? Yeah, it was really good. Um, so that yeah, that was the second event they'd had up there, and I think it was it was great for especially the international girls that had travelled to be able to play the two in the same area. You know, mm. staying staying in the same place. Um, but at Coffs Harbour Golf Club, I mean, it was awesome. It was a great setup, quite quite tough setup. Um, but yeah, it was a great event and great opportunity for some of our amateurs to be getting getting those starts. And even one of our girls, uh, Hannah Park, was yeah. leading the tournament at one point. So That's phenomenal. Yeah, again, great experience for her to be playing in a final group on the weekend. Does it yeah. show those girls in particular, but also the ALPG professionals who haven't quite made it yet, uh, what you have to do to get to LET level? Exactly. I mean, for it to be these events to be co-sanctioned, um, I think it, there's great opportunities there. You know, if one of our local girls had you know, won that event, then comes with status, then comes with, you know, a lot more opportunities open. I know a um, English girl did end up winning, but also it's, yeah, if some of our girls just even had the slightest bit of status, it's uh, it's great for them going forward. Yeah, There's a lot to talk to you about still, Stace. I'm going to talk to you about your impassioned editorial on the front page of <laughs> Golf Australia's website this week, Hazy, uh, but we have got a special guest in the studio, Jared Lyle. We'll get a quick break out of the way here on... Inside the ropes, come back and talk to our main man. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, I'm Cameron Smith. I'm not as home as often as I'd like, but I can keep up with all the Australian golf on Inside the Road. So it's great to have Jared Lyle in the studio with us today. He's already been part of the show right from the word go, but we've got you here to talk about you uh, as much as have you talk about the game with us. Um, everybody in Australian sport, particularly Australian golf, um, is in your corner. I'm sure you've had a sense for that for quite some time now. This is not a new revelation and phenomenon to you. You know how much people care. You're sitting here now and you look terrific. Um, how are you? How are you travelling? Yeah, look, mate. Everything's. Um, I guess the doctors are happy. Uh, my doc, my doctor Jeff, came to me. Well, we had a meeting with him probably five weeks ago, and he said you actually made it look a lot easier than it should have been. And I'll tell you now, it wasn't easy. Hmm. You know, I had days in there that it was just absolutely brutal. 
I could have just rolled over and given up. Um, but I thought, well, no, there's still too many things I want to do in life to, to give up. So it's it's been a fair old battle this time around. Um, the chemo I had was the strongest chemo I've ever had. And it did things to me that I'd never thought you could do to a human body and, and still live. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I've come through the other side. I'm currently at about day 91 after my transplant and they want you to sort of hang around the hospital till about day 100. I'll probably have to stay a little bit longer because I'm a, a tricky individual being my my third time around and they don't really get to deal with people that are, you know, third time around. So, um, so yeah, there's still a little bit of unknown with me as to, you know, how the the, the cure is going to go and, and all that kind of deal. But um, I'm on the right track and, and heading in the right direction again. It's hard... Jared, for people, we saw you at the um, Emirates Australian Open and you looked really good physically and you were out there working with Bri for the week, your wife. And then they hear you now and it probably doesn't seem that long a stretch in time to realise the hell that you went through. And, you know, you look great except for that brow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's, um, it, can, you, can you quickly encapsulate what January the 4th felt like for you or something like that? Um, yeah, it was January the 4th was probably a day where I literally just sat on the couch. You know, I was out of hospital at the time. I couldn't, couldn't do anything. You know, it was only probably a month ago, maybe where I could walk to the, the Queen Vic market and back to the apartment, which was, you know, it's literally a K one way and a K back, you know? And for me, that was a massive milestone. You know, I, I did that. I went down, I bought some meat and veggies and brought it back to the house and and sat on the couch and I thought, geez, I've done it. I finally made it. And I text Brian. I said, I made it to the market. She goes, you're still alive. And I said, yep, yeah. still alive. You know, because that's, you know, I couldn't do it. I, t- I guess without trying to be too graphic for everyone listening, but, you know, there's I'm not sure of the dates, but, you know, there's a day there where you've got tubes hanging everywhere and there's, you know, you've got ulcers everywhere and, you can't eat. You physically can't eat. You've got tubes doing that for you. So what I'm saying is it's only a couple of months apart yeah. from what we're talking about here, but you've been through hell here yeah. and back. And I think, you know, you, when you saw me at the Vic, uh, it's not, not the Vic Open, the Aussie Open, when you saw me there, I, I couldn't have felt any better. Mm. And Bri kept saying to me, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Yeah. She goes, it looks like there's nothing wrong with you. Like I was running up the hill. Yeah. Back to the clubhouse, filling the suitcase, bringing it back down, full of belts, selling belts, doing all this kind of stuff, and and then two and a half, three weeks later, I couldn't walk to the toilet in my room. You know, so it was just, and I think that's what made it hard because I was so healthy and so active three weeks before it, and then to go from that to rock bottom and not be able to do anything was just, I think that really sort of hurt my spirits a little bit, I guess, mm-hmm. but you know, I've, I've always tried to be as positive as I can through this whole thing. And I even said to Bri one day when she came in, I said, I don't know how much more I can do. I said, I, I, I don't know how much more fight I've got left in me. I could just roll over and, and quit right now. And she just looked at me and she goes, well, I don't want you to do that. Mm. I said, well, I don't want to do it either, but I just feel like utter crap. Mm. So without Bryony and Lucy and Gemma, where would you be? Probably in a coffin. They've been totally your inspiration to, yeah. to keep fighting. Yep. It's pretty hard words when you hear that said. Oh, no, oh. it's boring and it's beautiful. Like, it's great. You're lucky to have them, you know. 
and you're lucky to have your brother. You know, like you get the. Well, he had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> so you you said something um, that that you are now 100 percent donor. Yeah. Well, can you explain what that feels like? Um, I mean, not not physically, because I, I imagine you feel exactly yeah who like you you are you, but when you realise that you are here because everything that makes you tick and everything you need has come from someone else. Well, what is, how does that make you feel? It's, well, you know what, I guess I had a test done at 30 days after my transplant and it took about 10 days to get the results. And, and for me, it was a massive, a massive deal to find out whether it, the, the transplant had worked. And um, I'm laying in the bed in hospital and, and the doctor came, comes in and she says to me, oh, by the way, your, your chimerism test came in, you're 100% donor, and I'm just sort of sitting there going, you could have showed a little bit more excitement. You know, it was, I was waiting for this, you know, bells and whistles type thing to happen. Right, so, you know, you're, you're 100% donor, and I'm thinking, this is the best news ever. Mm. And then, you know, my doctor, my main doctor, Jeff, came in, and he's like, yeah, you're 100% donor. I said, well, that's fantastic, isn't it? And he actually showed a little bit more enthusiasm than the, the so other So why girl. is that fantastic? Because it just means that the chemo has done what it's supposed to do. The transplant was doing what it's supposed to do, where it's it's come in and it's it's literally trying to kill off the remainder of what was left of Jared, I guess you could say. So um, there's literally no Jared left on the inside. It's all, all latent now. And, um, you know, hopefully he's a healthy individual because <laughs> if he's not, I'll crack it. But... Um, yeah, it was just, for me, that was possibly the best news I could have heard. And it gave me that kick that I needed and to sort of say, well, you know, this thing's starting to work. It's doing what it's supposed to do and and hopefully I can get through. Because, you know, my doctors only gave me a 25% chance of, of this thing working. So, you know, and here we are at day 91, 92, whatever we're up to, and I'm still here, so... So there's a chance your body can just reject everything they're trying to put into it. Is yeah. That, that's the fear, right? Yeah. 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 So they call that graft versus host, and I've had a bit of that um, come through as like a, a rash on my skin, and, and it can affect other parts of your body pretty severely. So it's something that, unfortunately, and even after my, my second diagnosis in 2012 when I had my transplant back then as well, it's something you deal with for a long, long time, is graft versus host. So it can pop up at any time. So you've kind of got to be very wary of how you're feeling and what's going on mm. and, and things like that. And, and blood tests are very important to, to determine what's going on. And, um, you know, it's it's a good thing to have a little bit of it. You don't want too much of it because it can, in the end, it can kill you, the graft versus host. And then it does a, does some good as well. So it's a, it's a tricky little thing to... To sort of uh, control. Yeah, Jared, Jared's dumbed that down for us. And for a bloke who, for, for health reasons, didn't finish year 12, uh, you, you're actually a doctor now, mate, I reckon. You could actually talk with anyone in the world about leukemia, acute myeloid leukemia, and other ones too, presumably, that you've studied the difference in. It's quite remarkable to me to hear you talk about that when you get technical. Yeah, it's something that I never thought I'd uh, <laughs> truly understand or understand some of the words that get thrown at you. But it's, I guess when you're thrown into that situation, you kind of, you have to learn. You have to learn things about it. You have to learn what doctors are saying. And and I've done that a little bit. And, um, you know, I've, I'm lucky enough that I can dumb it down. It's just literally going back into the old Shep boy and uh, <laughs> dumbing things down for everybody else. But um, it's something that, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not happy about it. You know, I, I never wanted it. Mm. But, you know, it's definitely made me stronger and a better person, I think, having to go through all this kind of ordeals that I've been through the th- three times that I've had it. Where are you physically in terms of, it, let's just for argument's sake say that 2008, Jared was the, that was pure you. That was as good as you're going to get. Where are you now in t- on that scale? If that was 100, where are you now physically? Not, And I'm not talking about golf. I'm talking about life. Like, Walking walk to the market. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm probably at about 40%, I reckon, mm. of what I was back then. It's like I, I went to Shepparton for, for a day last week to see my grandparents, and then I just sat on the couch for two days. Yeah. What's the scope to get back towards 100? Is the scope to get to 100 or is it to get to 70? Or what? what's the, when you're fit and healthy again here, what's the what's the number? I'd take 80%. Yeah. I'd take 80% every day of my life just to be able to get out there. And, you know, my goal is to, to walk 18 holes of golf at some point. I've already been looking at motorized golf buggies, remote control ones compared to non-remote control ones and, and all that kind of stuff just to... I guess give me that kind of, give me that something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, give me that goal to get out there and, and do it. And Because I don't want to sit out there and play golf in a golf cart because I can't get around. I want to do everything I can to, you know, to go back down to the Sands or at Shepparton or wherever I play and actually walk 18 holes of golf again. So it's it's still a long way away. Um, but every day that I sort of, I, I keep doing things and get out and about and, and go for a walk. It's that that goal's getting closer again. So, Andy, um, you might want to ask Jared about this in a second yourself, rather than me do it. But in, we're helping write his book. Oh, but I'm very much aware of that. We will ask about that. Yep. And I remember, I know that people will remember Jared playing in the 2013 Australian Masters, the day that he um, went the blub on the first tee. Sorry, mate. No, no, no. No, the day that he was extremely I think a emotional. Lot of people did. Yeah, no, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> yeah, everyone alone, it yeah. wasn't a dry eye in the house, and. No. Um, it was a big win for Jared to get through the tournament, play four rounds. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but he told us during the writing of the book here that the next day he had been committed to play a pro-am at the Sands. And he was so knackered that with permission of the people down at Torquay, of course, that he actually got to drive the cart everywhere, including onto some of the greens <laughs> so that he could actually walk out and putt. I don't think they, I don't think they gave me permission to drive on the greens, oh, but uh, I did it anyway. Man. That's disgraceful. I was like man. Donald Trump, just yeah. driving wherever I wanted. <laughs> Running the show. Let, let that be the only thing in common you share with Donald Trump, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just that when you talk about going back to Shep to um, see your grandparents, it knocks you around. Um, how big a personal milestone is that when you think about this is the third time round for you, and even in times one and two, there must have been times when you wondered what the future looked like. Here you are living through it for a third time, 91 days in, um, into it, which is unbelievable. The fact that you can still go back to Shepparton and, and sit down and have a cup of tea with your grandma and your grandpa, that must be, for us, that's, or well, might have gone, but for most people, that's just, yeah, we're going to see Grand Sunday Arvo and catch up, but that must be a particularly special thing for you to be able to sort of still do and have a very significant um, importance attached to it, I imagine. Yeah, it does, and you know, not just not just because it was there to see my grandparents. It was actually to be able to leave the vicinity of the hospital too, which yeah, I haven't done yeah. for so long. It's you know, I've been down to Torquay a couple of times, um, and I remember the first time we did it, I was going down there to pick Lucy up from her first day of school, and and we drove past 
literally drove past a supermarket that's about 150 metres from the, the apartment and I looked at it and I've gone, and now this is the furthest I've been past this, this <laughs> hospital in three months. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, I guess that, that little achievement and that little milestone was something that, you know, I was pretty proud of. And, but at the same time, it's a scary thing because you, you're almost leaving your safety blanket of, of the hospital. You know, and when they say, oh, you know, you can go home now or whenever that is in the next week or two or three or four, whatever it is, to have that safety blanket sort of lifted off you and go, well, okay, you can resume normal life again. It's kind of like, well, I'm not really sure if I'm ready for it yet <laughs> yeah, right. as well. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it's, it, it is a weird feeling. Um, but luckily, you know, Geelong Hospital. It's it's sad that you got to sit there and go, you know, oh, this place has got a pretty good hospital, and <laughs> Close you know I, know, I, know, I know it's twenty minutes from door to door, and if anything happens, they know who I am down there, and and I can sort of just sneak in there and and have whatever I need done. But um, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of what my life's been lately. How is the book? Just before we get too far away from it and move on, yeah, the book. Um August, it's going to be coming out. Is that about yeah, right? There's no set date yet, but I think it'll be around Father's Day. So, yeah, August. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, look, Martin Blake and I have been um, in a lot of discussions with Jared and, and, and Bryony about uh, how it's all coming together. And, and it's actually starting to come together really well. Um, it's been an emotional ride for an outsider, me. Um, but Jared and Bry have been unbelievable in letting us in we've been in tears and had probably one too many man hugs through the through the process yeah, but you're pretty cuddly Daisy, so it's all right <laughs> you, can, you can get away with it <laughs> but it's 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 a tearjerker um there's a bit of golf we're trying to in some ways not talk too much golf because um, it's more about jared the person and the story and the, and the battles but um you know um yeah it's there's a heap of chapters that uh, have a story that will make you think twice. Mm, I um, bet there will be. So yeah. I, I don't think there's too many books like that. It's not about the authors. It's about the subject. He's he's been quite remarkable in being, having a great memory about so many details, but being so open and as Jared is, um, welcoming to people to hear the story because it's as he says, and I'm sure you'll say it now. It's not just about you. It's about all the people you've met in hospital. Yeah, it is, and it's it's something that you know we wanted the book to almost be a helpful kind of book for, for people that are dealing with anything mm. in life. And, you know, just to know that there's other people out there that have dealt with this kind of situation. And I can't tell you how many messages I've had from people and how many, you know, texts or, you know, Facebook messages and things like that. Like I've got some great friends that I've never met. You know, mm. there's a guy, Sean from Canada, who he's, his wife sent me a message on Facebook and, you know, I was just sitting on the couch in Orlando at the time and I thought, oh, might as well give this guy a call. And anyway, so I messaged back straight away and and um, got his phone number off his wife and he literally fell off the couch because I was calling him, you know. And, and, then, and it went on and on and on for probably six, seven, eight months where, you know, he got diagnosed and was looking for someone to help him, I guess, try and find someone to, to do a transplant or give him his treatment and all that kind of stuff in Canada and he couldn't find anyone and... You know, so I sort of helped get him on the right track, I guess. And, you know, it was it was good for him just to be able to talk to someone who'd been through it all. And, mm. and um, yeah, so it's it's kind of a book that I wanted to make sure that it, it didn't have too much golfy stuff in it. Maybe one or two of my, you know, most memorable shots <laughs> or, you know, happy times in golf. And, and the rest of it was more to do with, you know, obviously the health battles and, 
and trying to just sort of, I get, you know, I've never really understood why people reckon I'm an inspiration to them. But the more you sort of deal with it and the more you, you're out there, you, you kind of figure out what I'm doing mm. is helping other people. And, um, you know, that's why I decided this, this time around that we'd almost try and document things a little bit better on Instagram and, you know, let people know exactly what was going on at the time. And um, I guess it is helping people. And, and that's what I wanted this book to be about as well. I'll say that Andy is an inspiration. Like having watched it sort of not firsthand, I haven't been in the room when it's been crunch time, but it's a, it's a pretty emotional journey and to, to be as forthright and as open as he is is full credit and I'm sure gives a lot of people a lot of hope for what might be in their future. No doubt about that. So the next kind of week and the next couple of weeks just before we kind of have you stop talking about yourself, um, what's, what does the immediate future look like? Uh, the immediate future, I've got some tests to have on the 21st, 22nd of March. Um, I go in and, and have another bone marrow test to make sure that, that everything's still clear and, and things like that. So yeah. they're not the most enjoyable things to have having a massive needle shoved in the, the bone of your hip and the drugs that come with it are probably the most enjoyable part. <laughs> you kind of, uh, you get knocked out a little bit and yeah. you, you kind of, you feel all right. Um, so I've got to have all those done and then I see my doctor again on the, the 4th of April to, I guess, go through all those results and make sure that, you know, we're still tracking along all right and everything's doing what it's supposed to do and there's no no leukemic cells floating around anywhere. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of a big big next month um in terms of of what happens after that as well so it's you know there'll be a lot of sleepless nights as there has been for quite a while and a lot of thinking going on but um you know hopefully i can get back to Torquay soon and and be the dad that i want to be again and uh you know just be around the girls and and sit on my own couch how have the kids been through the process and stuff how and wife and kids i guess how have they been handling things my wife just amazes me, you know, how well she sort of dealt with, with all this and, you know, having to, you know, come up here and see her husband laying down flat on his back, not really being able to do anything and looking pretty sick. And then she's got to go home and look after two young kids and <laughs> and all that. So she's she's really amazed me at how well she's handled all this. Um, my six-year-old sort of, she understands what, what I've been through and, and knows that I've been really sick and there's a lot of things that I can't do with her. Yeah. My two-year-old just jumps on me like I'm a trampoline, and she doesn't know doesn't anything know any about different. it. So, and that was exactly that was yeah. pretty much exactly what Lucy was like the first time, yeah. the second time around to, as well. Mm. So, you know, Gemma won't really understand what was going on. She'll obviously see a lot of pictures with Daddy with no hair and and all that kind of deal. But um, yeah, Lucy understands what's going on, and and for someone of of her age, she's very. Um, very understanding and very smart and she she realizes that you know daddy may not be here at some point and you know for for someone of her age to have to deal with that is not not something you really want to put on a on a young child but um you know she just goes about a business and wonders why she's been at school for three weeks in prep and hasn't had any homework so that's you know that's her biggest dilemma at the moment as well so it's <laughs> you know I, I think They've they've obviously taken after their mother, and um, <laughs> become very strong and very independent. Relaxed, and yeah. uh, you know they just go about their business. Ah, uh, it's a hell of a story, mate. Good luck. We wish you all the very best. Thanks for being big enough and uh-huh. here enough to come in and tell us about it again. We're all 
in your corner, mate. Thank you. Jared Lyle, our special guest on Inside the Ropes. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. Hi, my name is Soria Yu, who play on the LPGA Tour, and I love Vegemite, but I love Cedro more than Vegemite. Welcome back to the show. Uh, it is a very exciting part of the professional career for an Australian player who's been around for a little while now. You you know Rebecca Artis, previously, as the artist previously known as Rebecca Flood, wasn't it, back in the day? Floody, we yep. all know her as, yep. <laughs> uh, she's got the very, very um, exciting part of her career to come now. She finally has status on the LPGA Tour and she's been good enough to join us. Rebecca, thanks for your time. No worries, guys. How exciting is it? Um, yeah, it is. It's a, a very exciting year for me. Um, finally, finally got my LPGA <laughs> Come on, show card. us your excitement, bloody. A little bit. Give us a little bit of something <laughs> oh, there. Mate, I, I feel like it's a relief more than anything. Five years I tried at Q School to get my card and uh, fifth time lucky. Yeah, it's obviously going to be a very exciting year for you, mate. Um, yeah, are you looking yeah. forward to, uh, you know, what's your goals for the year or what are you? how do you feel about things going into next week? Um, yeah, as you say, we uh, we hit the road. Um, Saturday, uh, Sunday we fly out to Phoenix. So the first first tournament for me uh, in the States is an LPGA member. Um, I can't wait, actually. Um, it's, a, it's a big year ahead. It's exciting. Um, it's all new. It's all fresh. Um, new places to go, new things to see, new golf courses, all that. Um, I feel like, you know, I've had seven years on the LET and I'm ready for a change. So... I'm really looking forward to it. Um, for me, the biggest goal is to get into all the majors, play my way into all the majors, and then uh, hopefully play the Asian swing at the end of the year. So have you laid that schedule out in front of you? Have you looked at you know the 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 schedule and have you gone right? I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a crack at everything here, or are you gonna kind of pace your way through that that first part of the season? No, I um, yeah, I've definitely looked at the schedule. Um, I've you know, set it all out in front of me. Um, at this stage, I'm really looking um, forward to. I'll play nearly everything. Um, I'll play a pretty full schedule. There's only there's only one section in the middle of the schedule in the middle of the year where there's nine in a row. Uh, two of those are majors. So if I'm in those majors, I may take a week off, uh, just an ordinary week off. Um, but if I, you know, worst case scenario, if I'm not in those majors. Um, I'll play every regular event on the schedule. So um, at this stage, it's a little bit up in the up in the air. Um, but yeah, I'll play as much as I can possibly play. Which, which we shouldn't be surprised about, Andy. How many, Beck? How many uh, frequent flyer points do you reckon you've got racked up over the last couple of years? 
um, millions, but I, uh, I use them wisely. I, uh, I generally upgrade myself to business with points and leave my husband back in cattle class. So. <laughs> She's not lying there either, guys. <laughs> hey, everything happens for a reason, I reckon, if you're, if you're a subscriber to that notion. Um, do you, you, know, you, you would have liked to have got there earlier, but you get there at 29, I think you are now, Rebecca. Do you feel like there might have been, okay, let's get the vault of experience up here. Let's get myself ready to go, uh, and you arrive at a perfect time in your career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't regret any decisions I've made in terms of going to the LET first um, and playing out there. I've gained some valuable experience out there. I've had two wins. Um, I've played in uh, plenty of majors, um, you know, British Opens. The, uh, my two wins got me into the Evian Championship. Um, so, like I said, I've had I've had plenty of experience. Um, I certainly don't feel like a, a rookie on the LPGA in terms of um, what my golf has uh, given me before I've got there. But um, I am definitely a rookie out there. There's things that you know I've got to learn, and um, you know just general rules and regulations of the tour and stuff like that. But I certainly don't feel like I'm a rookie, and I feel like I'm ready to compete out there just from the experience that I've gained um, through playing the LET. Um, you know, winning on any tour um, gives you the confidence and belief that you can do it. So I'll take that onto the LPGA. And like I said, I feel like I'm ready to compete out there. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about, her being a rookie out there. I really, she doesn't seem a rookie to me, you yeah, know. Yeah. Like, she's been playing for seven years at such a high level. And the wins that she's had, she's beaten a lot of LPGA players in those fields. Mm. So, you know, she's she's definitely not going to be a rookie going out there. Some things, yes, because she won't know a lot of the normal tournament procedures, but when it comes to golf side of things, I think she's far from a rookie. Well, you've got Jared Lyle sitting here, in here, Rebecca, and you've made the transition, Jared. Is, there, is it a difficult, just in terms of the day-to-day, every day, living your life on the PGA or LPGA Tour, is that an easy transition to make? No, it's, it's not an easy transition because everything's so much bigger. But I think with Rebecca having played all those times over in, in Europe, you know, it's going to be a, a much easier transition for her than someone coming out of college or someone that's a you know yeah. a second year pro. So, you know, you just I guess you just got to harness that and um, you know put all that experience in your back pocket and go well. You know, this is not my first rodeo. It's not my first time playing golf tournaments. It's just now. It's just on a bigger stage for her. So, Beck, what do you do? Do you um, establish a base somewhere over there, or are you just literally going to be going from kind of town to town? Um, no, we, uh, we've uh, become good friends um, with Gavin Coles. Um, Gavin Coles is obviously, he was taught by Gary Edwins, so we've got similarities in terms of our uh, golfing and stuff. Um, so we'll base ourselves mainly at Coles's. He's in Orlando. Um, but just depending on the schedule, we may also go a little bit week to week, just depending where we are in the country, um, you know, what weeks off we take and stuff like that. But at this stage, um, you know, we'll probably call home um, at Gavin Coles's in the States. It's becoming the Gavin Coles podcast, isn't it, really? Like, it's not the first time. You did get mentioned before. Yeah, you did. <laughs> well, you're about 12 months too late because I actually sold my house in, in Orlando 12 months ago. It was very well-priced, very nice house. <laughs> oh, Jared. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you yeah, unfortunately, you've missed out there, Beck. <laughs> I, might, I might have taken the offer up. <laughs> Rebecca. Sorry, two, two, I was just going to say two weeks for Colsey might be enough. You might want to look for somewhere else. Well, by the sounds of her schedule, there might not be that many weeks off, hey, Flatty, anyway. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. I know I know uh, already that 
we've got a week in Dallas um, and then followed by a week off. So we're also going to uh, lob at the Pamplings doorstep and uh, stay there for a week. So Perfect. Um, I feel like we've got a pretty good base. And I'm, all, I'm also, I'm fortunate enough, um, you know, I've got my husband with me. He travels and caddies for me. So um, I'm never on my own. Um, and I think sometimes tour life can become a little bit lonely. But like I said, I'm fortunate enough to have Jeff out there with me. Um, so I've, I've never heard you say I the am. words fortunate enough to have Jeff with me <laughs> in the one sentence and, before. Yeah, that's what, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Beck, before we let you go, because I know you've got a few things on today, um, there's a big push for women's golf and, uh, you know, not just at pro level, we're talking, um, you know, elite amateur, but more so even down at club level just to get women involved and the membership rates up. And I know you're probably aware of all that stuff based on what happened at the Women's Australian Open. Have you got thoughts and or some sort of uh, example of, of where things uh, could get to or have been or in the even a bad light at club land that you've experienced in your time as a young woman golfer? Um, look, I grew up in a small country town. Um, so when I was a junior growing up, we had a few um, juniors, uh, both boys and girls. But I found that, um, you know, as I got um, a little bit older and a little bit better, I found that I was, you know, constantly playing in the men's comp off the men's tee. So I was always surrounded by um, men in uh, in my golf club, which, you know, wasn't a, bit, a bad experience for me um, at all. But I feel like most golf clubs are male-dominated, um, and it would be lovely to see that change. Um, even, you know, just in a, from the club comps, you know, instead of having 20 women in the, in the regular um, Thursday club comp or whatever day they may play, um, to see that number double. And then... Um, but that's got to start at the grassroots. It's got to start from a junior level, and it's got to start from trying to get young junior girls um, involved in golf. And it's a difficult one because I know for, you know, growing up in a small country town, netball, things like netball were always, you know, the most dominant sport because it's a team sport and girls, you know, being girls love to um, be in a group and, you know, just the general gossip and the laughter and all that type of stuff. So it's, uh, it's, it is a difficult one to get um, women involved in golf and especially um, young, you know, young junior girls. But, I suppose as a pro um, like myself and Keating, all we can do is try and um, give back. And, you know, if we're at a golf tournament, I know I especially always try and sign a golf ball and find a young girl to give it to. Um, not, you know, from a, any other reason is that I don't think that, men, um, you know, young junior boys need any more inspiration to play the game. You've got, um, you know, the likes of in Australia, Adam Scott, Jason Day, even Jared Lilett sitting there. Um, I just feel like, you know, we need to try and encourage young junior girls. And if that means, you know, signing a golf ball and finding a young junior to give it to, to encourage her to play junior golf, um, if that's all it takes, if that gets one girl, one more girl in, involved in uh, junior golf, and then, you know, over the years, if she doesn't turn pro, but she stays within golf, just in a local uh, club comp, well, then I think that that's, uh, you know, that's all we can do as a pro. Music to the ears of a few people sitting in this room, I reckon, Rebecca, and it would make a world of difference to any of those, you know, young girls who uh, are on the receiving end of, you know, a gesture like that. Uh, we're all going to be watching. We can't wait to see you cut your teeth over there. It's been, you know, it's been a grind for you to get there, but you've got there, and um, anybody who's watched you play golf over the years will um, re- be suggesting that it'll be a long time before you're not uh, on that tour. So um, 
Good luck. Thanks for joining us. All the best. We appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Rebe- buddy. Rebecca no Artis joining us, who's got the next great Be- challenge of her professional career to come. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothes and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Hi, this is Rod Tampling. Anytime you guys want to tune in and find out what's happening around the world, listen to Inside the Road. Great, uh, great way to find out what the Aussies are doing. Get the ears on. Welcome back to the show. A whole lot of other bits and pieces we need to whip our way through before we wrap it up for another week. Stace, we spoke to you on the phone a couple of weeks ago about the Women's Asia Pacific Amateur. I reckon we've called, I always call these Asia Pacific Amateurs a whole bunch of different names. Oh. But it is the Women's Asia Pacific Amateur, right? The Women's Amateur Asia Pacific. <laughs> so why <laughs> does the Amateur go up. before... I, I thought I had it right this time. Women's w- Amateur Asia Pacific. Okay. WAP. Go with WAP. 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 Yep. You've had a couple of weeks since you were over in Sentosa. What was it like? Yeah, it was awesome. It was uh, it was such a great event for the girls. I mean, it was absolutely like world-class. Best Amateur event. Oh, maybe bar US Amateur that mm. I've been to. Um, the girls were treated like princesses, which quite a few of our girls really like that, um, in a good way. Um, just right from the get-go, right from the getting picked up the airport to the hotel to the whole works that you, you know, I guess it's just very professional. It's mm. like a professional event. Um, and then the competition. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's the best, you know, many of the best amateurs in the world. So I think it's a really good measuring tool for our girls. Um, we had quite mixed results over there. A couple. Um, our best was Robin Choi, eleventh place. Um, which she had a good weekend. Um, we had Kirsty Hodgkins. They both go to University Colorado. Colorado. Um, and yeah, so I guess just for the other girls, especially that are based here, just a really good, I'd say, eye opener, mm. nearly, on, I guess, how to gate, you know, to gauge themselves where they need to be focusing their practice. They really need to be upping their work ethic. Um, and I think that was quite evident that. A lot of the Asian teams that were there, that was, you know, their their work ethic is really just above and beyond. And I, I think it's, you can tell a lot of our girls that, but then for them to see it Spot on. is another you yeah. know, another level. And this yeah. is one of the beauties, I would imagine, Stace, of um, the strength of particularly Korean and also Thai golf and one of your girls in particular. Um, to For them to actually know that the best Korean youngster will invariably go on and be a really good professional player on a big tour globally that they know where to get to and this is someone they can aspire to immediately yeah definitely i mean it is no it's it's just another level it really it really is and for our girls to see that and that event in itself um you know it's i think next year is really this being its first year but next year the girls have seen it they know what to on what's on offer Mm. to be getting into two majors and the HSBC the following week. I mean, it's like the Asian major. So I think next year it's really going to be an event to get into. Right. You know? well, stop dodging yeah, bullets here, pal. Because this is, this is what we've got you on here for, your knowledge, your in-depth knowledge of the female game in particular. As in who got those starts, you mean? 
Yes, you want and to also touch on? yes, yep. and also immediately how her form has been franked at Sentosa last week. Yes, we're talking of uh, Ataya Titical. Yeah, and oh, I hear Hazy's been having trouble with some names here, so I just <laughs> wanted to put that at rest. Um, no, obviously, and I'd seen. Uh, I was lucky enough to see Ataya play the LET event that she won last year, where she beat Lydia Coe's record. I think was correct to be the for the youngest uh, winner of a professional event. Um, yeah, so for her to win the event, then go on to play HSBC Singapore the following week and finish tied eighth, correct oh me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, I mean, phenomenal. And just, just 66, 67 on the weekend. Yes. Yep. I think she was um, maybe three over after 15? six on the first day. 15? Wow. Yes, 15. 15. Had her 15th birthday the week of the WAP. <laughs> the WAP. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just call it that. Um, yeah, so, and then she's got the A&A and the British Open coming up. I mean, how exciting and... And is there yeah. anything spectacular? Does she hit it spectacularly long? What What is it about her? It's I don't really like saying this, but it's nothing spectacular. Yeah, like right, it's right. just she just gets it done. Um, I watched her a few holes in Singapore because I went out and I was like, oh, this is that chick that won in on mm. the LET event. Um, yeah, she's not the longest hitter. She's not. It's nothing special, she's but a good just golfer. gets it done. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that so it'll be fun to watch her at these majors. I'm disturbed, Andy, because. I'm what about a tire? No, well, a bit about a tire, but I'm yeah. more disturbed that you just played me on the break because it's going to happen so many times this year. Did it it's easily? Be embarrassing. Did it easily? Yeah. It sort of feeds into um, <laughs> uh, a conversation that we had with Stephen Pitt, the CEO of Golf Australia, a couple of weeks ago. The release of the um, 2025 um, mission statement, you know, to get women and girls into the game of golf. Uh, we spoke to Rebecca Artis, who I think had a fantastic yeah. point um, at the end of the chat we had with her. And it, it's all led you to write an unusual piece for Golf Australia, I, I thought, this week. And it's a yeah. terrific piece, don't get me wrong, but it, it was very much from the heart from you. It was a yeah. pure editorial. Um, tell us why you felt the need to write that. I didn't actually start off writing it, Andy, um, with anything in mind other than to relay an experience because as a bloke, and this is typical, I would imagine, of blokes playing golf at any level around Australia, you, you, you tend historically not to have had too much involvement with women, mm. just the way it's all been set up, which is part of the problem. But uh, I had a good mate down from Brisbane, and we went and played at a course in Melbourne recently, and we just got teamed up with a husband and wife from uh, another capital city. Um, I won't name the clubs or the city. Um, but just to hear her experience, when, when she learned of what I did, and I told her about Vision 2025, um, just to hear her experiences at her own golf clubs was extraordinary, just absolutely extraordinary. And I'm like, this this is the problem confronting women's golf. In, in a nutshell, in my group here, and then to see the feedback from some people on the GA website, golf.org.au, about the Vision 2025, you can see that there's a it's an endemic problem, mm-hmm. um, just that women don't get a voice and they don't get to, by the historical manner that golf clubs are set up, don't get to be treated equally. And, and it's, it was it was eye-opening and gut-wrenching all at the same time. Mm. And I just felt like I had to put it out there and uh, hopefully it reaches a few people. And I think the bottom line of what I was trying to say is speak up. Um, if there's a problem, you've got a lot of friends. Golf Australia can't come in and rectify a specific golf club, you know, with an iron fist. But if we hear about a problem, um, we can uh, help you address it at your own, at your own club and at, at a local level. And I think that's critical thing that we speak up and i'm talking men and women the the problems that um the woman i play with were confronting were actually driven by females at one and of this the is clubs. something that curry has addressed recently as well we think that it's crusty old blokes who are protecting their patch at golf clubs we don't want women playing on saturdays keep them out of my face i don't want them getting in our way 
But in a lot of cases, particularly when it came to women's pennant and women's club championships, as we were talking before we came on air, Stace. Yeah, like Hazy mentioned in the article, you know, mm. oh, well, we play it on Wednesday because that's when we play it. Mm. I remember back when I used to play pennant, it used to be on Friday. And then they, they started noticing that a lot were having to take days off school, days off work. Mm. That it was younger people that were starting, you know, playing, being the top level of pennant. So they moved it to Sunday. So now they play Sunday pennant as the top grade pennant and they still keep a Friday pennant, which is called Friday pennant. <laughs> Just to, I guess, to keep that, which is, that's fine. But the main pennant now is on, is on Sundays, which is, it's moving with the times. It's, it's what we have to do to course, get our best players. You can't be missing school every Friday to play pennant. And I totally, I understand that. And you can miss school far easier than you can take a, take six hours out of your job if you're yes, working. Yes, well, that's exactly right. It's for both. Yeah. It, it is. Oh, it's just totally reflective of the way society's changed. I mean, yeah. that used to be okay because women weren't working. Yes. Um, and you could get your, you know, your, your golf done by three o'clock and go mm-hmm. home and make the meal for the bloke coming home. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, it sounds sexist even to have it come out of my mouth. Yeah. It, it's so pathetically old fashioned. Mm. And I'm all for traditions in golf clubs. Don't get me wrong. But that's not one we need to keep. Now they go chip no. on a Saturday afternoon, if the or the Sands, but the old chip golf club, traditional old country golf club. How would the boys go on a Saturday if suddenly women were allowed to play in the club comp on a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday morning? Mate, women have been allowed to play on a Saturday. Perfect at Shevenden for for a few years. Perfect, now. great, and the same at the Sands. Yep. So it's the sky doesn't fall in. <clears throat> no, you actually no. get to meet some other people at the oh. club. You know, they've great. got specific tea times that they have to stick by and, mm. you know, they can't go off the first, they've got to go off the tenth, which I don't believe in. Mm. You know, if you've got a tea time, you've got a tea time. It doesn't exactly. matter where you tee off. I think the hardest thing, Andy, was in writing this story was to, to think about a young girl in the area where Jane, her name was, was playing, um, wanting to go and play golf. Maybe she's seen Rebecca Artis play and maybe she was the girl who got that glove or ball at the end of a tournament. And she goes to her local club because that's the only place she can get to because of her family set up. And she goes there and she gets told, well, unless you can play uh, between 12 o'clock and 4 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, you can bugger off. Mm. That's her. That's her lost to sport forever. Um, we can't get her back. She's cooked. That's that's what golf is to her now. That's a bunch of crusty old women who uh, you know, are building their own little empire and couldn't give a stuff about the rest of the game. And that's that's inexcusable. It's a really good read. Uh, encourage you to go and have a um, um, uh, go and have a read on golf.org.au of Hazy's piece. Just before we get away from this, um, and this is right up your alley as well, Stacey. This is a conversation that I've had with former male pros as well who are no longer on tour but have gone back to their clubs and would like to play pennant golf for their home clubs. Good topic at the minute with pennant starting on the weekend, it, last weekend. So, would you? Where you're a member at the, uh, Victoria at Golf Vic? Club? Yep. Are yep. you are you allowed to play pennant at Vic? Uh, no, I'm actually not. Okay. Um, they kind of did a bit of a, a rough deal between the Sandbelt clubs, just a bit of a pack, I guess. Yep. That the Sandbelt clubs were not going to allow professionals to be playing pennant. That was kind of the deal when it first came in, and it was just it's not a written rule. Yep. It was just something they women's pennant. They uh, no pennant across the board, men's and women, and. But every other Sandbelt club, Bar, Victoria, and I think Metro, I stand to be corrected, have not allowed a professional to play. They just, they don't want it. They say it's it's not in our traditions. And um, Even though yeah, you're full fee paying members of the golf club? 100%. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, that's where I, 
I don't know. I feel I'm just a club member. Um, maybe going forward, I would like to play pennant. Okay, maybe I actually said like while I was on tour, I I don't think you should be able to play when you have a full tour card. And do you really want to when you come home for yeah, a week of off? You know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. But maybe me going forward, and I'm not going to be getting my amateur status back. Maybe I would like to play the odd game of pennant. And... Wouldn't this be great for the pennant? Squads. Wouldn't it be great for the girls and the women at those clubs to have a Stacey Peters um, playing Jared Lyle going back and playing pennant for the Sands or for Shep, wherever you wanted to play? Wouldn't it be great? Mark Allen at Kingston yeah. Heath. Would you like Mike to play, Clayton, Jared? Would you, you, know, would you, I don't know, what's your thoughts? No, I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I wouldn't do it because I've played pennant, I've done all that. And for me, this is a really good opportunity for the, the best of the club golfer at that club to come out and showcase what they have for a seven or eight week period. And I don't want to come back and take that opportunity away from a 19 year old kid. I can see that. Playing yeah. off plus two who's had a ripping season. And I finally come back home from doing something and go, oh, boys, because I was at Commonwealth. Yep. You know, and. And I, I wouldn't want to come back and say, right, I, I'm going to play pennant in the next three weeks to you know, help get in the finals. And then this 19-year-old kid who's had a ripping season misses out because I've come back. Yeah. What, know, if, you, I, what if you'd committed to the whole season? The whole season. Yeah, I, I still wouldn't do it. I still wouldn't do it because I know what it meant to me to make the senior team at Commonwealth. Mm. You know, it was a massive, massive thrill. You know, obviously living in country Victoria and getting a chance to play senior pennant in, in metropolitan Melbourne was a huge achievement. And... Mm. and you know, I wouldn't want someone to come back in and, and take that opportunity away from me. And I don't want to be that person that does that. Yeah, I see it with, um, like, more on the female side of things. Like, a few of my friends are now mothers who are, are still professionals, you know, by books, haven't played on tour for probably six, seven years, but want to play some competitive, you know, golf. And some are allowed because they're at certain, I won't mention names, but are at certain clubs and then others that are members at different mm. clubs haven't been able to have that opportunity. Mm. So I see it different. I'm more thinking, because even these girls, they're not necessarily going to be number one in the team. Gosh, no. Mm. Like my friends are maybe probably two, three in the team, but the top amateurs at the club are, you know, much better golfers than them, but it just happens that they are professional, as mm. you say. Yeah. So I, I see both sides of it. I do. And inside the underscore rope. So if you're listening to this and you've got a strong view on it, feel free to let us know on Twitter. And if we get some feedback on that, um, we'll definitely uh, refer to it next week. Because I, and this is one of those. Um, you both make really valid points, I reckon, both of you. Uh, and it is one of those issues, I reckon, at club land that would split people down the middle. I'd love to see you guys playing pennant. Mm. I'd love to go on a mm. Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon wandering around watching a couple of... Imagine you were drawn to play Mark Allen, for example. If, if Lyle's, going head walkover. To, <laughs> Lyle's going head to walkover. Lyle's going head to... You know what I mean? Like guys who are still playing routine, regular club competitions mm. at the clubs they're full-fee-paying members at, I think that would be... And that would only lift the standard of the potential um, pennant players around the golf club, I would think. That would inspire your 19-year-old plus tour. You want him to get into the team, obviously because of the impact that it had on you and it potentially would have on him or her, but um, it would definitely lift the standard. You got a view on this? You're sitting very quietly over there like oh, Switzerland. You're not saying anything. No, like I hear Jared's point of view and I think it's commendable. Uh, I would personally love to see it. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't want anyone to come back and just, you know... Just for a week or two. Yeah, just yeah. sort of Pearl Harbor in and, yeah. yep. 
and take a spot. But you know, if you're committed to a season and you're a full member, I'm I'm pretty sure you should be able to play. The Rogers the Roger Bannister file for you two was something we um, initiated and instituted last week on the show, and it is um, it is our watch on slow play. We're going, we're going to put people in the file when they deserve to go in. Roger Bannister ran the mile, of course, and he passed away this week back in 1954. Broke the four-minute mile, which was far. It took him less time to run a mile back in 1954 than it takes JB Holmes to decide whether he's going to lay up or go for it. Um, and he lays up. So he's our captain of our, Rod, our Memorial Roger Bannister memorial. file team. Yeah, we've changed it to the memorial we, in honour of the great man. Exactly. So we put Webb Simpson in last week. We couldn't remember who we... Ke- yeah. And it was Kevin Nah who we wanted to put in, but forgot his name, unfortunately. I apologise. That was my fault. Okay. And that's on top of Captain JB, who's... He's like Don Bradman. He's, he's, he's out far away on his own in the averages here. So we, he's unlikely to not be captain at any stage. So do you two want to put anyone on watch? We won't necessarily put them in. They have to really disgrace themselves to get into the Memorial Rogers, Roger Bannister fire. But is there anyone we need to just little, put on a little watch list? Um, I think we could probably put Beatrice Ricari. Oh, okay. Just don't, maybe just put her on the clock. She's on the watch list. Yeah. Okay, on yeah. the clock. Okay, just, she's uh, on the she clock. She comes to mind first from playing partners I've had in the past. Lovely. Anyone for you? No, I think Kevin. Oh, yeah. Kevin Nah's got to get put back in there. Yeah. Oh, he's in. He's, no, he's in. in for sure. He's, 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 in. he's uh, yeah. yeah, he's very painful. Unfortunately, right. lovely yeah. guy, but uh, yeah, painful. Uh, Eamon Darcy. <laughs> there's a piece that I reckon if if we can continue the theme of directing people towards things online have a read of. Eamon Darcy, former you know, European touring pro, of course, still writes for Golf Week, wrote a fantastic piece, um, time to drop the hammer on boorish behaviour. And I won't read the whole thing out to you, obviously. Now go online and find it. But he's talking about the golf bros, these this, this subculture uh, and subsection of predominantly American golf fan who seems to have bobbed up. You're nodding your head like, yeah, I know who they are. The loudmouth imbecile who just wants to um, shout, yeah. wants to heckle. Justin Thomas last week had one removed and got hammered on some social media fronts for daring to ask to have you know this imbecile kind of removed from the from the facility. Is this clearly Eamon Darcy's moved enough to think of this as enough of an issue to address it in a column? Is this something that you've seen? developing and you had one of your great moments at Phoenix so it's hard for you to kind of pot it in its entirety but um, is this a thing that needs to be addressed? It, it, it is. I've had a couple of uh, memorable moments at Phoenix where obviously I've had my hole in one there but mm. I've had a spectator by the throat. Um, what happened? Oh, he may have called something out to me that I didn't approve of on the back of the 10th green so I went and had a friendly chat. Where's this in the book? You've got to get that in the book. Hang on, you need to... Another chapter. chapter. Another chapter. Okay, what we happened? We can put this in the no, book. No, this is an exclusive snippet for Inside the Ropes. <laughs> what happened? What did he say? Oh, he called me a fat something. Right. That I didn't... Uh, obviously, I was fat, but the second word I didn't agree with. <laughs> so you turned, you literally went and turned around and confronted the bloke? Yeah, after I tapped in my little two-inch putt that I'd left short from 40 feet, and he goes, oh, why don't you get on a treadmill, you fat? And I'm like, okay, righto. And I remember just passing my putter to my caddy, and, he, and Mick says to me, he goes, oh, I'll, I'll deal with it. I said, oh, no, I'm just going to go have a friendly chat. So I went over there, had a friendly chat, and this guy's opened his mouth, and I just grabbed him by the throat, and I told him, don't even say a word. Full of ink, the bloke? Like, just clearly, or is he just a, he's just a dope? No, he was just a dope. Yeah. And his mates just backed away and let him Cop deal with rash. it himself. So, 
But it's it's unfortunate that that's what happens at golf tournaments, and it's <laughs> getting more and more regular that there's guys that go to a golf tournament, have a few too many drinks, and decide that you know mashed potato and Bubba Booey and all this <laughs> kind of stuff has to be yelled out when it's got absolutely zero to do with golf, and they're just making a complete tool of themselves. He says this, right? In Eamon's piece, he goes, he's talking to a TV, an unnamed TV announcer. I've never seen it worse, said a TV announcer friend who walked the first two rounds of last month's Genesis Open in LA with Thomas Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. On the eighth hole during the first round, a spectator yelled in the middle of Tiger's backswing. Another lubricated chap rode the ropes for the entire length of the next hole, bellowing at Thomas, roll tide, roll tide, hey Justin, roll tide. Reference to college yeah. sport over there. My announcer pal looked my announcer pal looked bayfully at Joe LaCarva, Tiger's caddy, every day. Joe sighed. Every day. So Tiger just clearly has to deal with this idiotic golf fan who he the Tiger phenomenon is by and large um been seen by many as given the the phenomenon that's given rise to these golf fans because people who aren't unattuned to golf etiquette just want to go to a golf tournament to see Tiger play and they bring with them a football fan mentality or a you know a fan mentality from somewhere else that just clearly has no place in the game it's a really really good read and I'm disappointed that that happened to you that's um that's ugly yeah oh well, look it's it's stuff that you you've got to deal with and and obviously I didn't deal with it all that well that day. Well, some people would have said you deal with it you and Davey want to deal with it perfectly. it was lucky I didn't hit him to be yeah, honest yeah, yeah. but you know you, everyone sort of looks at Phoenix as being the tournament. You know, to have 200 and something thousand people on a golf course in one day is just, it's out of this world. You know, and when you go there, out of that 200 and something thousand people, 190 of them don't even know there's a golf tournament. Yeah. They're there to drink and carry <laughs> yeah. on and do whatever. Yep. But, you know, it, it's unfortunately sort of slipping into other tournaments now where people go there and just carry on like, Idiots. Mm, mm. So, unfortunately, Andy, um, this is probably highlighted by the fact that the crowds in Mexico were as good as anywhere. Like you know, may as well be in Scotland. They were very polite. I mean, they had some awkward moments. We saw one photographer nearly stand on uh, Thomas's ball in the middle of the playoff, which was would have been absolutely extraordinary. But there was no bubba buoys and stuff, and it yeah. really highlighted the fact of how loud it in general generalised it's become within. Um, within American golf tournaments. However... Anything you want to leave us with before we wrap up? Yeah. I, <laughs> while they might have been sort of calmish on the uh, sidelines of the Mexican fairways, back up in the commentary booth, can't say it was always going to be the same. And we've got some, I'm going to say, the best golf commentary I've ever heard. Uh, apologies to some, uh, you know, Jim Nances of the world. But the best com- golf commentary I've ever heard is Ross Fisher has a hole-in-one in Mexico City. Es Ross Fisher, el británico, hoyo número 3, fierro 9, 157 yardas. Estupendo swing. Allá va. Cae muy bien. Gran aterrizaje. Corre, 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 corre. Sí, 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 sí. Hole, hole. Hoyo en uno. Ross Fisher, lo que acabas de hacer. That? <laughs> that is it goes on for a little while longer, but we don't need to go any further. Oh, but, that is um, gold. El stupendo swing. <laughs> That's what I took away from that. That is unbelievable. How, what do you think of that? 
Ooh, muy bien, muy bien. Hey, I'm, nice. I'm disappointed I didn't have mine. My Phoenix one wasn't down there now, or that guy wasn't in Phoenix. You know what you should do? That you would should, have topped it right off. We can just go, Jared Lale, and then just roll the rest, <laughs> and you can overlay vision of yours with that commentary, That's and you'll, you'll have it forever. Technology. We can easily do that for you. We'll yeah, do I reckon that'll look really cool. Yeah, no, we'll do yeah, that. We're yeah. on that. Can we'll we put like an audio thing in my book? <laughs> so when someone opens, look, you know the, the Christmas cards or birthday cards or something like that? <laughs> Why not? Why you not? need to do that. You need to go and write another chapter, clearly, yeah. uh, after the revelations on today's show. Mate, uh, we do have to do one more thing, Andy, before okay, we... Yep, yep. Well, and that is that ball debate that I sort oh, of pushed back from the first yeah, segment. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so yeah, I know we haven't got a heap of time here, but uh, can we... I don't know if everyone's got an opinion or they even want to vocalise it, but... Um, the ball debate rolls on. Can I give my opinion? As please, you can. Yeah, we are in deep, dark danger of having um, another long putter saga unfold before our very eyes. I don't think there's any doubt by the language of the RNA and the USGA that they intend at some point to do something about golf technology. We all know it's not just the ball; it's driver distance, it's it's training, it's agronomy, it's track man there's yep. a million different yep. things so i'm not pointing the, the bone at anyone here um as you mentioned titleist cops it a fair bit um and they're just part of the part of the whole scheme of things but the ball is clearly the thing that we can do something about that doesn't radicalize everything else in the game so let's talk about the ball if we don't do the ball in a cut and dried manner this is going to be a circus an ongoing and long-running circus um the rna and usga are pretty clear I think the language is pretty clear that something is going to happen. But we need to get to the point, and this is my rant for the day, Andy, when the US PGA Tour and uh, the PGA of America in particular shut the hell up and let the governing bodies do what they need to do. Um, the rhetoric from these people about what they put out... Um, uh, blockers and, and opinions on the research before it aired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the USPGA said, oh, don't forget that players are now taller and younger on average than they used to be. Mm. The PGA of America, you know, had already made up its mind that it was crap, the ruling that they didn't end up ultimately making. It goes back to the long putter debate about the intention of grounding the putter into your chest. The tours don't want to kill the golden goose here, the, the goose that lays the golden egg. So they're not going to pot the players. If the players want to hit 340 yards, they're going to let them hit 340 yards unless they're instructed to by the people, and the the, um, the proletariat of world golf, which is us. Because the the governing bodies have to say something, but the tours have to enact it on their, on their playing fields. And the, right now, I think it stands a great chance that that's not going to happen. And we're already bifurcated. I could talk about this yeah, until no, no, the cows it's, come it's, home. Yeah. We're already effectively bifurcated because the effect of the ball is only kicks in, and we've mentioned this 10 times already, when the swing speed gets above 112, 113 miles per hour. Choppers like me can't do that. I'm not sure what what club head speed you generate. 90-something. Uh, Jared, 90 at the odd. top of your game? Oh, I was about 115. So you start to get the effects, and it goes up exponentially as, as it goes on. But it's not going to affect. If we change that ball, it's not going to affect what happens at the amateur level. That's the bottom line there. Uh, but don't let this circus drag on. I had someone rip into us uh, online, stop talking about this bloody ball. Mm. And it's true. It's true. But we need to have the, the courage of our convictions to make something happen and stick. 
don't we want to see every club in the bag used? That, that's what I, I, that's my, I just go back to that. I want to see the best players in the world have to use every club in their bag. And, and at the moment, they're not. They don't use three iron, three, unless they've got a long par three they're playing into. They're not hitting three iron to nine iron anymore. They're, it's drivers, three, three woods and wedges. It's what the game's become. And I, I don't like watching golf play like that. I'm, I don't. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, I think something has to be done and sooner rather than later, like just to stop everybody carrying on like mm. pork chops. Yeah. So yeah. one last stat, Andy, rather than just the distances and stuff, which we all talk about, this is the this is the current um, ball. So the launch angle of the current ball has moved up from 10.5 last year to 11.1 this year. And historically, it has been higher than that once or twice before. But the trend is up. So people are hitting the ball higher. Mm. With a, with the driver, the spin rate eleven years ago was twenty eight hundred and fourteen down to twenty five hundred and seventy eight. So I want to don't worry about the numbers because if you don't understand that stuff, yeah, it's but irrelevant. It's, yeah, yeah. The, the, the trend is to hit hit the ball higher with less spin. Yeah. So it's not going sideways and it's going further. I mean, it it it's undeniable. It's there. Um, some of the people who the naysayers like um, were. were of the stats, which is totally fair, and there's a very valid point. The stats are based on um, research done at Erin Hills and at Quail Hollow, where they haven't had previous tour events, So, and they rank it against the previous host of that instance of the US Open and the US PGA Championship, um, respectively. Erin Hills hit it a lot further than Oakmont, because yep. it's a totally different course. course. Yep. So the numbers get skewed. So that, you know, I get that. That's totally fine. But let's look big picture here. No one, it fails the eye test. What's going on right now? Have you got a view? I mean, you're most recently part of this fraternity over on the PGA Tour. Do you have a strong view on this either way? Oh, look, not really. Yeah. You know, I I still like seeing guys hit at 350 yards. Yeah. I don't like seeing guys like in Mexico. Like, I know you're at altitude and the ball goes a lot further. Hitting it over the green of a 410-yard hole. You know, to me, that... What it's doing is it's making golf courses obsolete. It's obscene, I reckon. I agree with you. And that's yeah. that's what it's doing. And you see now with new courses being built that the holes are getting longer, which is in turn making it a lot harder for the average Joe to go out there and, and play on a on a top-quality golf course. I reckon it's going to be fascinating, Andy. I heard um, Jeff, Shaff- Jeff Shackelford talk about it on one of his podcasts yesterday, and he said there's five pillars of the game in essence, and that's the RS- RNA, USGA, the US PGA Tour, this is the men's game, mm. I apologise, but this is US PGA Tour, the PGA of America, and the Masters. And right now it's 2-2. What's the Masters going to say in a few weeks' time? Because this is their time to shine, well, where yeah. they come out and give their State of the Nation address. Do we continue to buy land? Because they're the only club in the world that can continually afford to buy land. Do we continue to do that and, and pander to the expanding technology, or do we make a stand? Well, ch- this is this f- this feeds into the Shackelford Clayton et al. argument about what it's doing to the great golf course designs, and if if the ball is demanding of Augusta National that they have to keep changing the golf course design to keep parity with the ball, then the golf course is no longer what it was, and the stories that we all love. We all love the stories of what's he going to do on 13 and what's he going to do on – and what's going to happen here. And we know the stories. We know mm. the stories are obsolete. They're, they're, resigned, they're consigned to history books. 
because the hole they're playing in five years' time is not the hole they were playing for the, for the previous 70 years. If anyone what a dis- tragedy that is. Yeah, 100%. If anyone who disagrees with that notion, think about Louis Oosthuizen's shot on the second, the magnificent iron that took 35 <laughs> seconds or so to mm. get to the hole and get drop in for Albatross. Exactly. The person in 20 years' time who's hitting a seven iron in, <laughs> in darts to a pretty accessible pin, we're going to see Albatrosses there all the time. That right and center, and it takes it, it diminishes everything that's historic about the game. Yep, here, here, couldn't agree anymore. Um, we'll let that one ruminate in the ether. And if you want to express a view, like many of you seem to want to do on this particular issue, at inside the underscore ropes is the place to go. Um, nice rant, Hazy, finishing. Yeah, sorry, I don't know where that no, came no, from. No, no, it's good. We like to finish on a calm. Peaceful note on Inside the Ropes. You've got us all wound up here. Yeah, sorry about that. Look at yourself. That. You've got your heads turned beetroot coloured. <laughs> you've gone and got all angry. I should is... just look across at Jared and Stace and be happy that you know, <laughs> we're all in a wonderful place. Jared, lovely to have you on the show. Thanks for being a, so generous with your time again. And it's brilliant to see you looking well, mate. Let's hope yeah. the next couple of weeks are everything that you and the family want them to be. We wish you nothing but the best, my friend. Thanks Thank for coming you. in. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. All the best, mate. Jared Lyle joining us. Stacey Peters, uh, you're going to be here more often than not uh, going forward. We can't wait to see that. Look forward to it. Good on you, Hazy. Well played, my friend. Cheers, Murray. Thanks for tuning in. This has been Inside the Ropes, episode number 33. We'll be back to do it all again next week.